Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The calm after the storm, there's still puddles in the street, water seeping into your socks and the smell of rain lingers and dark clouds still hang overhead. They could unleash another storm any minute now and that's where Manchester United are right now. Things have calmed down, but only for now. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer remains manager and a relentless run of fixtures approaches. Watford Saturday, Villarreal Tuesday, Chelsea Sunday, Arsenal Thursday, Palace Sunday, Young Boys Wednesday, Norwich Saturday, Brentford Tuesday, Brighton Saturday. It's a bit breathless. One game every three days for the next month. It really is relentless and there's little time to work on specifics on the training ground, but there's also little time to dwell on past results. Will that be a good thing or a bad thing for Solskjaer and for United? Well, only time will tell. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We'll be looking ahead to Saturday's game against Watford first, answering the question of one of our patrons, and then we'll move on to more questions from patrons, including one on United's defence, one on who the best 11 in the world is right now, and a couple of others. Um, Jack, have you enjoyed the international break or the respite from United at least? Yeah, it's been nice to to not have my emotions played with quite as much. I mean, there's actually some some good um, some good games yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday, on Monday night. You obviously had England beating San Marino ten nil, but the far more interesting stuff was happening in Northern Ireland and then holding Italy to now Italy are in the playoffs. It's been actually a, a pretty good international break, I think. Yeah, I think I think everyone forgets. Because the Euro qualification is so easy, I think we all forget that World Cup qualification is actually quite difficult and people miss out. Big, big countries miss out a lot of the time. And it's if you're a good country in Europe, you should be qualifying, even if that's through the playoffs. But in South America, it's really difficult. In Africa, it's incredibly hard because even when you, like, even if you win your group or you finish in a good place in Africa or Asia or South America, you then have to play against the best team or one of the best teams from another continent to get through. Um, but yeah, even in Europe, Portugal down in the playoffs, Italy into the playoffs. Um, Netherlands could end up yeah. there as well, depending on how results go tonight in their group. Yeah. And what's mad is that I don't know about Portugal, depends, depends who their manager is, I guess, but certainly Italy and the Netherlands, I think will be 
the Netherlands might be regarded as one of the dark horses, although I think feel like they always, I never like it when people say they're dark horses when it's such a big country or uh, such a storied history for a country. But the Netherlands, yeah, could be a dark horse and Italy could be one of the favourites and yet they might both have to go through the playoffs. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been interesting at least. England's has been completely boring and I chose not to watch most of I, it. I, I would, I would actually love to know how there was a, qualification group that had both San Marino and Andorra. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I still, I still am not entirely clear on how that happened. How were they not in like the same pot when the, the draws are made? It just feels pointless. Yeah. Well, there's quite a lot of countries of that level, isn't there? There's Liechtenstein and Luxembourg. Luxembourg and, yeah. yeah. There's, there's quite a, there's a few to go around. Um, what do you, do you think there should be pre-qualifying before we move on to United stuff? Do you think there should be like pre-qualifying in European World Cup qualifiers to stop these games? I don't know, to be honest. I saw Michael Owen tweeting of that there needs to be a big sort of restructure to get rid of these sort of pointless games. But to be perfectly honest, like, is it that much better watching, you know, England against, say, Albania than England against San Marino? Yeah. Like, it, you know, it's not that much better. And to be honest, the whole point of World Cup qualifiers, it's just straight up, every team just sort of goes at it. And sure, you know, you could make this sort of pre-qualifying to stop some of the smaller teams getting in, sort of getting in the way, I guess, presenting sort of these pointless fixtures. But, you know, at, at, at what point do you do you put the cut off? Because teams are always constantly improving and we already have the Nations League to kind of do that in the, the sort of off years. I don't see a huge problem with World Cup qualifying the way it is. Like it's ultimately yeah. just about getting teams into the World Cup. That's what it's there, there to do. And it, it also gives teams like England an opportunity to give some other players a chance. I, I don't have a huge problem with it because it would also just mean that you'd end up probably just with more pointless friendlies as yeah, a result because there'd I be agree. less games for teams like England to play in World Cup qualifying. And you know that the FA and UEFA <laughs> won't just let those go as like, oh, well, yeah, these t- countries yeah. just have a break. So you're just going to end up with more pointless friendlies anyway. Yeah, probably held in Qatar and Saudi Arabia. I, I basically yeah. also think... If you don't want to watch England San Marino, then don't watch it. It's not particularly hard. The problem is that yeah, exactly. we we have this expectation of football now that every game should be brilliant and that it should always be that it goes back to the European Super League. The same people suggesting that there should be kind of pre qualifying were very strong in their criticism of the Super League and rightly so. And it's not it's not anywhere near the same magnitude, not at all. And I just I it, it comes down to the same point where we have this idea in our heads that kind of every football match should be of the highest quality and big teams playing the others, but it's just not true. That's it. it's like why the FA Cup can be brilliant, and it's different because San Marino never have a chance of beating England, but they do have a chance of maybe getting a, a couple of goals against someone else. Um, and I also think that there's it, it goes to the same point where like every football match should be televised. Maybe we just shouldn't be able to watch England San Marino. Maybe we should. Uh, I mean, the, the choice is there, isn't it? You can watch it if you want. You and it's not, not like these games aren't on TV either, you know? Like England were on, I think, yeah. ITV last night, but I mean, Northern Ireland, Italy, which I ended up watching with on Sky Sports. Like, it's not hard. Yeah. It ultimately, also, like the coverage of pe- people who complain, but then like Sky and BBC and ITV, whoever, will still choose England San Marino to be the main kind of their main talking point it'll be oh Harry Kane scored four goals rather than wow Italy in the playoffs let's look at how that happened so anyway let's move on to United 
which will no doubt be more depressing. Um, I mean, the, the one thing we can all agree on though is that the the two the, the, the World Cup every two years is is stupid because then you yeah. end up with all of this happening every what, eight or nine months. Yeah, I just haven't got the energy for that, um, no. and, and that's all. Um, right, let's start with. Dave Shevlin's question. Thank you for sending it in, Dave. He says, can you see any sort of roll of the dice changes from Ole against Watford in the coming weeks by giving other players a chance? Or do you think he'll dig his heels and still play his favourites? Uh, I'll begin in brief. I think he'll still be his favourites. There's obviously the complication of injuries. So Cavani, Pop of Varane are all probably unavailable. Sure, we're not quite sure yet. Um, but yeah, I think he'll stick with his favourites. It, it's very hard to tell, but I can't see suddenly Sancho and Van der Beek being thrusted into regular starting spots. The one person I think we might see a bit more of is maybe Jesse Lingard. Yeah, I, I don't see anything massive going on. I think he'll stick with sort of his team, his the people that he's clearly put at sort of the forefront of his planning. There's been a lot of stories in the international break in the last couple of days about some of those fringe players being unhappy, um, which, you know, I, I don't think is a, a huge surprise, but I think even coming off the international break, I, I don't see massive wholesale changes. Injuries will force some. Sancho is probably the one that I think has the best chance to start, but I think given that um, both, I think he would have had even more of a chance to start if he was, wasn't was with England and Mason Greenwood was, but I think since they've both not been with England, I think, there's probably still a decent chance the green would start over Sancho. Yeah. I think because after the City game, we were saying that it kind of Solskjaer had a great chance to work with those not called up to England. So Sancho, uh, Jesse, Mason, but also Van der Beek not called up for the Netherlands. A couple of people stayed behind uh, because Rashford stayed behind to work on his fitness as well. And we said, oh, that'd be a great chance to like work with them over two weeks. But the squads that had long been planned a, a holiday at this point and there has been an attempt with by the coaches staff to give more holiday because the players have been asking for it um, so it wasn't kind of a sudden decision to take a, a week holiday after the City game but it was the decision wasn't taken to stop that holiday happening if that makes sense um, but yeah so the squad took the holiday and so clearly that didn't happen so that I, th- I think is a bit of a wasted opportunity on the other hand I do get the I think it makes sense to kind of just let things calm down and and allow people to kind of clear their heads and and people can work on their, their games by themselves as well. But yeah, it was an in, interesting, an interesting kind of hypothetical decision to put yourself in. Would you stop your players going on holiday or would you, um, would you bring, would you let them go and, and let them have that, that bit of space? I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I- I think because so much, so much of the squad wasn't there, I think it makes more sense to send people away because even if you do do a lot of work with, with those few players that are there, the, the problem is I, th- I think with United is that the, the issues that we have are tactical and they're about systems. They're not so much about, you know, making sure that individual players are improving. And so I think to make any sort of serious gain on that, you sort of need pretty much the whole squad there. And without it, Sure, you can maybe work on those individual players' roles in the system, but I don't think there's too much that could be gained. And I think it makes more sense to just sort of give them that mental break because it's been, I mean, for for us, it's been, you know, an awful few weeks. And for the players, it's been just as bad. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. I I imagine Solskjaer would have had quite a big reconsider of what he wants his United team to be. And I think he would have probably planned the next few weeks while he was away himself on holiday back in Norway with his family. Yeah. I don't imagine it was 
too much of a, a complete holiday for him. I think he would have been working pretty hard to sort this out. Um, there are there are a lot of options, isn't there? It's a big squad. There's plenty of options in terms of personnel, but there's also quite a lot of options in terms of formations. So he's got a lot of choices. Um, it's kind of imagine having a blank sheet with this United squad. What would you do with it? It, it would it would be hard to to think about. He hasn't got a blank sheet, of course. There's lots of things to consider, including our defensive frailties, which is what Corey Lennox has asked about. Um, they say, how about our defensive struggles? It's so easy to talk about Ole and our attacking options, or the fact that we didn't sign a true central defence midfielder, but for a defence that made so much improvement last season, there's clearly been a glaring regression, even with the addition of Varane. And there has, to be fair, um, two Premier League clean sheets all season. We are also scoring at a lesser rate, but we are conceding at a bigger rate. Um, where to start? It's, first of all, I think, should we should we rule out personnel? Because it's clearly not that, isn't it? Can we agree on that? Yeah, and certainly not compared to last season because we've improved the personnel since last season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think there's there's all kinds of issues. I think first of all is the change in, do you think, there has been a change in the team we want to be because I I think up to a certain point I was convinced that kind of Solskjaer had decided that we've got the personnel now we should be a more front foot team Um, do you think we've actually now we're we're what 11 Premier League games in we've had four Champions League games uh, we've had a League Cup game as well do you think we've actually seen evidence of that? Are we trying to play a different style now? Or is it that we're just failing to execute kind of a slightly changed version of before? I don't think it's massively different. I think probably the biggest difference is I, I do think we've been I do think we've been playing higher up the pitch. You know, we obviously always played higher at the pitch in games where we were, you know, dominant. But I I think in general we have seen a tendency to be playing a bit higher. I, I I don't have actual numbers to back that up in fairness, but at least sort of anecdotally thinking about at the very least, it seems like more of the, more of the times when we're in trouble defensively seem to stem from us being play, being very yeah. high up the pitch. But I don't think there's been massive changes in the way that we play either in attack or in defense, to be honest. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's hard to tell. It, it, let's let's see we we might be able to answer it better once we've discussed the kind of weaknesses the weaknesses is that we're a terrible pressing team and is they're just it's such a disorganized pressing unit united we don't press as a team we don't press with speed either and you could probably get away with not doing one of those things if you had one individual who was themselves intense in what they were doing and really closed down their player quickly, that would have a good impact. If you also had a team who weren't that quick at pressing, but were very organised as they did it, that wouldn't have the biggest impact, but it would still be okay. You wouldn't be able to get played through really easily. The problem for us is we didn't have ease of those. And Liverpool was just a, the, the, a good team taking complete advantage of that. Uh, and our team was all over the place, but I don't think that performance, uh, that performance was the worst, but I don't think our pressing in that game was that different to against other teams. It was just Liverpool were brilliant at at just tearing us apart for it. How how do we sum up why, why are we bad at at pressing? Um, 
we're not quick enough when we do it. We don't have players backing each other up. It's often one player will go and then the person who should be backing them up is too slow to do it. So United get played through. And then it's it, it starts from the top. So against Liverpool, I think it might have been for the first goal. Greenwood goes to initiate the press. He doesn't win it. He then goes to press another player. Eventually, Wambasaka steps up, but it's too late. They get played through. Then Lindelof has to come across. Then Maguire has to come across. And before you know it, Luke Shaw's defending against Salah and Keita. And we're about to be played through. And, and well, we are played through and we concede. So it, it starts from the top. I think our defensive struggles are completely, to, to summarise very quickly, completely to do with the system, to do with the poor pressing at the front. And it, it comes from the, from the attack. I think it starts from the attack, but I also don't, I don't think that's the only issue. Um, I think, yeah, you're right that we don't put any pressure on the ball, which as we've said before, despite the way that, you know, a lot of successful teams in recent years have pressed the ball from the front, that isn't a necessary thing to be a good team. There's been plenty of good teams that haven't pressed from the front. I think what's troubling about United is that we both don't press from the front, but then we also don't keep the pitch very compact. That's sort of the point of not, yeah. you know, the risk reward of pressing from the front is that, yes, you put the team under more pressure, but you also make the pitch a lot bigger and you create more space. So if a team can move the ball quickly, they have a lot more space to operate in. The flip side of that is sort of the, the Jose Mourinho, Rafa Benitez type deal where you make the pitch as compact as possible, where you don't press too high. And so you make the space in which the opposition team has to operate in very, very small. And despite the fact that we don't really put pressure on the ball when the opposition's defence has it, we also don't make the pitch very small. We're not compact. Yeah. There are too many spaces for teams to operate in. And I think the the high line has has in certain games has exacerbated that. Because in games where we've had a lot of the ball, there have been a lot of times where we've been left basically exposed at the back with very little midfield cover. And then you're asking for example, Harry Maguire to, you know, defend with 50 yards of space in behind him. And I think that's one of the reasons why if you look at United, I don't think it's so much, so much the case of over the last sort of month, but before that United's defensive stats were quite curious because we were actually doing very well in terms of chances created, but very badly in terms of big chances created. And I think that's sort of why is that a lot of the chances we were conceding were, you know, when basically teams were just getting in behind us and had, you know, very, very good openings. I think over the last month or so, it's been more that I don't think this United team is good at dealing with very good movement. And so you saw, I think, against Liverpool and against City that when a player's movement takes them a long way from their sort of starting position, I don't think this United team is good at understanding how you sort of pass those players on to someone else. Yeah, Because on one one end of this is that you have sort of the Marcelo Bielsa way of doing this is that it's just strictly man marking. So if you're Luke Shaw marking say yeah. Salah and Salah goes out to the right wing you just follow him sorry if Salah goes out to Liverpool's left wing as Luke Shaw you just follow him to the right back position Yeah, but that's not the way that most teams including United do it if you're Luke Shaw you sort of follow him a certain amount of the way then you pass him on to say Maguire or Varane or McTominay or Fred or whoever it might be I don't think this United team is good at dealing with that there's a lot of times it feels like where we have we face overloads in certain areas because players don't pass their men on properly. So you end up with say three or four men all on say our right back position, but then yeah. we don't have the numbers in the right place. I personally think that's a big part of it. And I think that comes down to, you know, communication on the pitch and also work on yeah. the training ground just to sort of figure that out. I, I, I said, it's, yeah, 
I think, so I I think the fundamental problems come from the way that we're set up. So the fact that it doesn't look like we've, we're effectively coached to press high up the pitch. And, and, And what's frustrating is Solskjaer seems to want United to be a front foot pressing team, but in the league this season, we're the 12th highest intensity in our pressing in terms of how high up we go, but also in terms of how often, I think I mentioned it last week, the passes per defensive action, which is kind of a stat to kind of back up the eye test. How much and how often do a team get a foot in or or press? Um, we're 12th highest in the league for that, which it, you can still be successful for, but when then the Solskjaer, after we get beaten by Liverpool, says we want to be pressing high, we should do that, Old Trafford but you can't see on that pitch. That means it's all in the execution, which ultimately comes down to, yes, the players, but also the coaching. But I do also think, because if we think about United's defensive problems, they didn't start this season, to be fair. I think they started kind of the last third of last season. So we had that really good spell from, what, uh, November which was when Shaw started looking great, Maguire started looking great, but it was also just our defence was was well set up until probably March. But then we did have games where we we again really looked off it. And if you look at the stats, the decline in, in, in terms of our pressing starts going down in the final third of last season, not at the start of this season. Recently, there's been a, a more sudden drop. But so then if you think about personnel and the, the players that have come in, yes, absolutely, Cristiano Ronaldo's had a massive effect, but also Mason Greenwood's not good in this in this department, needs to improve massively. The players we had before, Dan James, longer ago, Jesse Lingard, uh, even Rashford's probably better at this, but Greenwood is does have a problem in this department. He's just, he, he's, he, he can do the pressing, but it's not intense enough. So there, maybe there is an, an element of personnel. Um, and I guess same with Pogba playing on the left wing as well, even though he's now dropped out of the team. So perhaps it is a, a partly personnel thing. But I just, yeah, the setup's just, as you say, it's neither compact nor intense pressing. And you can't, we're caught in no man's land between yeah. there, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And I, I think I think also because... I think we, our, mid, our midfield as well, I don't think the midfield has been awful defensively, but as I was saying kind of about the the trouble with sort of passing men on, the midfield is very good at sort of have, it, it. the midfield is kind of the complete opposite to our forward line in the way that they defend. In that our midfield is very, very good at sort of harrowing people, especially when McTominay and Fred are playing. You know, they're, they're sort of everywhere. They're always press, pressuring the ball but they're not the best at blocking passing lanes. They're not the best at staying really disciplined positionally. And I think what that ends up meaning is that there is quite a lot of space for people to operate in, but you end, you have McTominay and Fred pressuring the ball. So in, in some place, some cases that, that works quite well because they can just win the ball back quite quickly when the ball comes into midfield. But when you play against top teams, as we found out recently, it's, it's too easy for them to pass around that. And I think that's something that we've struggled with is sort of how do we how do we have a midfield like McTominay and Fred who aren't too disciplined that want to go and put pressure on the ball all, all the time, but how do we marry that up with a forward line that doesn't want to press that much? And if you don't press that much, that sort of lends itself more towards you know 
being more of a defensive unit that does focus on just cutting out the space, cutting out passing lanes and being very disciplined in your positions. So I, I think we're we're working from a bit of a disadvantage there in our midfield and our attack. I don't think their styles of defence yeah. marry up quite we're, well. We're a confused team, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Because again, we're we don't know what because, we want to be because we we let players sort of default into their just you know their default sort of modus operandi. You know, it's McTominay and Fred are these yeah. sort of Duracell bunnies that just are everywhere on the pitch, but not completely disciplined. But then you know, Ronaldo and and others are you know forwards that don't really want to press too much, and so based on what they're doing, we should just be sort of disciplined, stay in the positions. Then you go when you have the opportunity. But again, this. It's, these aren't issues that can't be overcome. It's just that it clearly seems well, like something... we're not working on it properly on the training ground. And so those players are just being left to kind of do their own thing. How many times last season did we say this system isn't covering for the players' weaknesses? And I think that's what we're seeing again. I think last season we saw it particularly in the defence and then that was sorted partly through confidence for sure in Maguire who became very, very good. But also, I think, in terms of the setup. But now there is, as you say, we kind of let players do what they're good at without kind of putting any restrictions on them to say, actually, yeah, you're good at this, but we don't want you to do it because it's going to make the team worse. Um, I think, yeah, I think even without, I guess without Ronaldo, it wasn't quite as confused, but there is, there's a confusion both in how United want to defend. Is it front foot pressing? And also how we want to attack. It used to be counter-attacking quick football. Now, what is it? I, I couldn't tell you. It's not get loads of crosses into the box for an hour because we don't do that. But it's not counter-attacking quick football either. Not Certainly not in the way it was before. So, yeah, we're certainly confused. But I think what's... I, the reason I don't think it personnel just to wrap up is because, yes, there have been mistakes, but I think they're mainly in terms of kind of positioning. And they're they're off. Most of the goals we've conceded have been, apart from the set piece ones, which have been really bad. And I think that kind of maybe comes down to confidence, perhaps. But I think most of the goals we've conceded have been the setup because you're not seeing you're not seeing players miss tackles or fail to make interceptions when they're there or fail to win the ball in the air. Not really. We're seeing people be played through and and be five yards away from the ball, and that's that can sometimes be the players, but when it happens this much, it's, it's clearly the, um, the setup. Um, well, and also even like, even if the, the personnel, you know, isn't say the best in the premier league, which it's not at the very least, you can compare it to last season where we had three of the same four back four and the one Varane to, from Lindelof to Varane has got much better. So at the very least, at worst case scenario, we should be performing as well as we did last season in defense. And we just are, and we just aren't. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it can't be just the personnel. It has to be. Yeah, more. agreed. Okay, let's move on to two final questions, some fun ones. Um, so Ted asks, well, Ted says, I really enjoyed the question a few weeks back asking you to pick an 11 from the current squad schoolyard style. So this is something we did where me and Jack kind of competed against each other to make the best team picking one by one. And he says, maybe as a continuation, you could do it for the 1999 and 2008 Champions League final starting 11s. Um, so yes, we're going to do it. Instead of the Champions League final in 99, because Keenan Skulls were suspended, we're going to do the away game against Juventus, the 3-2 win. 
Um, so, and then we're going to do the Moscow 2008 final. The the only the only thing I would say on that should we replace Blomqvist with Giggs since Giggs didn't start that game and Blomqvist. Uh, I know that's cheating a little bit, but that feels like a more go a on fairer then, yeah. because character. Giggs was also came off the bench in 2008. Let's do that, and then that means. There's no, there's also, yeah, there's, so there's no crossover. So that's quite nice because Giggs came off the bench in Moscow. So, uh, Jack, do you remember who picked first last yeah. time? We did a, we did the ABBA format. So let's do that again. I think you, I think you picked okay, first. Okay. So you pick first this time. So let's yeah, do that again. Okay. Um, so, so last time I, I prioritized defense and then our Twitter followers told me that I was stupid because you <laughs> very easily won the poll. Did I? Which team is better? I so, didn't see that. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I'm going to, I didn't, well, I mean, obviously most of our listeners didn't hear us t- doing the draft because it was a patron special, but I just tweeted out the teams and said, which ones, which one would win? And your team won, I think by about 65% to 35. Excellent. So based on that, I'm going to try and learn my lesson and I'm going to take Ronaldo Oof. from 2008. Straight in there. Um, let me just, I've, I've come a bit more prepared this time. Oh, you've also written in. I'm going to drag and drop <laughs> into our shared document oh, to make things easier. Okay. Um, right. So the key here is to get players that you wouldn't be able, I'm going Keane straight away because he's going to be my captain. I think he's the main leader from these two sides. And then I get another pick. And with that, I'll go Rooney. Okay. I'm also going to put a little little captain's icon by Keane's name, just to emphasise that. <laughs> All right, so now I'm trying to think now sort of where the biggest drop off in terms of positions are. Yeah. So yeah, looking at this, find, isn't it? I think the biggest drop is probably, so out of the, we've got four centre-backs to choose from here. So in 99, we had... Ronnie Johnson and Yap Stam. And then in Moscow 2008, we had Ferdinand and Vidic. So I think you don't want to end up with Ronnie Johnson. It's, it's, a, it's a big one that I'm sort of taking away. It, yeah, but Ronnie Johnson was, he was a great Champions League player. Listen, he was a good player. He did well in 99, but I think, yeah. I mean, we're, we're choosing from two very good squads, but I think that is probably the biggest drop. Yeah, that's, in that's the beauty of these two is that I could have any single player in any of these teams. Ex- and I'd be yeah. perfectly happy with them. But yeah, so go on, take your two. Yeah. So I'm I'm honestly, I'm tempted to just take two centre-backs here so that I don't end up with Ronnie Johnson. Yeah. Which then also leaves me with the predicament of how on earth do I pick between Yapstam, Rio Ferdinand and the man you did it. I'm going to give you my hint would be Rio and Stam, I think. That's what I'm leaning towards. I love, I love Vidic, but I think... I don't think I can pick against the other two. I think, so I'm going to take Ferdinand and Stam. Okay. I think Rio's the best of the lot, then Stam and then Vidic probably. Yeah. Uh, do you want Ferdinand at left centre-back or right centre-back? I'll take I'll Ferdinand look. at left centre-back. Okay. So, right, I'm adding to Keane and Rooney. And to Keane and Rooney, I'll add Beckham and... Oh. See, Cole and York, brilliant together. Do I want them... I can only pick one right now anyway. Uh, yeah, I was, I was actually just thinking the same thing. I'm gonna, go, do you only end up, want to end up with one? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Tevez because Rooney and Tevez were brilliant together. I, I, uh, hold on, let me just, 
Let me just confirm this. York, great hold-up play. Cole, an amazing finisher. Cole and Rooney could be interesting. But Tevez was incredible. I've got Rooney and Tevez. With Beckham delivering. Ah, oh, but Beckham delivering crosses into Cole. Yeah, no, I'll stick with Rooney and Tevez. I've got to say, I'm, I'm quite disappointed I didn't manage to get Beckham feeding Ronaldo into the Yeah, team. I know. Beckham feeding Rooney's all right. Okay, two from you <laughs> to add to Stam, Ferdinand and Ronaldo. Yeah, okay. So I think I'm going to take a midfielder. So I'm deciding between Carrick and Skulls. I think I'll take Paul Skulls for my midfield. Bear in mind, this, just for the listeners, this is... Paul Scholes, 2008. 2008, Paul Scholes, yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, deep-lying playmaker, yeah. Paul Scholes, not not the rampaging attacking yeah. midfielder. And then, so who have I got? So I've got two centre-backs, a central midfielder, and then Ronaldo could be either a winger or a striker. He'll probably have to be a winger in this team, I would guess. So next, because you've already taken Rooney and Tevez, I'm not going to bother taking either Cole or York just yet because <laughs> I... Hope I will end up with both of them anyway. So I'm going to take a fullback, but do I take Neville or Evra? I think I'm going to go with 1999 Gary Neville. Okay. That's versus 2008 Wes Brown. Um, I'm going to take... I'm going to take Nicky Butt. Maybe Carrick alongside Keane. I'm going to take Nicky Butt because everyone talks. Keane always says he was brilliant to play alongside and so does everyone else, which is what people say about Carrick as well. But I feel like I don't want to mess up with Roy Keane's kind of (laughs) equilibrium. So I'll I'll let him have Nicky Butt next to him. And then I'm torn between taking gigs or stealing one of Cole and York just to make your team worse. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just trying to work out how they could play. So my midfield right now is Beckham, Keane, but and up front is Rooney and Tevez. So Rooney and Tevez could go on the wings. It's just then where Beckham goes. Are you going to play Beckham in centre mid like in the final in 99 when it went yeah, terribly? this is the problem. I want Beckham on the wing. There's no doubt about that. So it's it's what I... In fairness, yeah. So I want Beckham on the wing. I can have one of Rooney and Tevez on the wing. So let's say I put Rooney up front, Beckham right wing, Tevez left wing, and then I've got Keane and, and Butt. That's all right, to be fair. I just can then add, uh, it's whether, yeah, I could have that. It's pretty attacking. And then I add one of Cole and York in there to go alongside Rooney and go old 4-4-2, which is what I'm going to do. Andy Cole's <laughs> getting in. All right. So just for everyone listening, the players left from 99 are yeah. Peter Schmeichel, okay. Ronnie Johnson, Dennis Irwin, Ryan Giggs and Dwight York. And from 2008... How have we not picked Ryan Giggs yet? <laughs> Edwin van der Sar, Wes Brown, Nemanja Vidic, Patrice Evra, Michael Carrick and Owen Hargreaves. So I am going to take Giggs, of course. I probably should have taken him instead of Cole, so to be get honest, him in my team. there we go. So he can go out wide. So now I've got my right back, my two centre-backs. I'm not too worried about the goalkeeper or the left-back because I think Schmeichel, van der Sar and Evra Irwin Yeah, not a huge amount of difference. They're on par, yeah. Then... So I need another striker, another centre mid, absolutely. So I've basically got a choice, I think, between York and then either Carrick or Hargreaves, Hargreaves even. And I'd probably go, 
Oh, see, I want to take Carrick, but that's not much mobility in midfield for Carrick and Scholes. But, you know what, we're talking about 2008 Michael Carrick. We'll do all right. I think I'll, I'll take Carrick in midfield. Yeah, I think you'll be all right. Okay, so I know I'm going to get Jonsson and Vidic. I'm just, so I've got, the, I can choose basically my keeper and my left back here because I know I've got Brown. I know I've got Jonsson and Vidic. It's whether I want to trump you on one of the others. Owen or Evra. Who have I got in? I'm going to go with Dennis Irwin because he's going to be playing behind one of Tevez and Rooney. So I don't need Evra as much. Mm-hmm. I want Irwin's stability in defence. And my second will be, was Schmeichel or Van der Sar better? <laughs> um, I'm going to take Van der Sar. I haven't ever, ever actually decided on the answer to that, but I watched Van der Sar every week and I didn't watch Schmeichel. And I always felt comfortable with Van der Sar and he saved the penalty in Moscow. Yeah. So if we're going based off that, then Edwin Van der Sar. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, so let's race through these last few ones. All right, so I think I'll have York and Hargreaves because I've only got two central midfielders at the moment and I don't think I'll be able to play two up front because there's no there's no wingers left so yeah I'll take York and Hargreaves yeah okay I've taken Brown and Vidic so now I assume you'll take Schmeichel and Evra yep okay and then I'll take Ronnie Onsen to finish it off um, so to run through the teams, I'll go mine first. Mine is Van der Sar, Wes Brown, Ronnie Johnson, Vidic, Irwin at the back, a midfield of Beckham, Keane, Butt and Tevez with Tevez supported behind by Irwin and a strike force of Wayne Rooney and Andy Cole and Jax is. Mine is Peter Schmeichel in goal, a back four of Patrice Evra, Yapstam, Rio Ferdinand and Gary Neville. Then midfield three, of Michael Carrick, Owen Hargreaves and Paul Scholes. And then a front three of Giggs, Dwight York and Cristiano Ronaldo. God, those are good teams. Great teams. They are. Okay, we'll put them on the Twitter <laughs> and people can decide who can, who's better. I think we're, I'll put, I'll put them on the Twitter, but we've also got to remember that this, these are the 99 and 2008 yeah. versions of all of yeah. these players. Which is, I think, going to complicate Maybe this, for bit. the ones that you need to put, so Scholes and Giggs. I think are the only ones you need to put, just put um, 1999 by the name for gigs and 2008 yeah, for goals. Yeah. Okay, um, last question. Let's try and do this quickly, but it might be difficult. Dave asks, um, he says, <laughs> if you have time, well, we're going to make time. Assemble. When a, do we ever stick to that? <laughs> assemble a current world 11, best player in every position kind of thing. Let's, let's try and do this quickly. The truth is, we're going to. Should we do the ones that we agree on first? That might be. Maybe easier. we should start from um, up front to back, because I think goalkeeper is the hardest one. Yeah. Let's start up front. I think yeah, the options up front, let's say we're only having one striker. Do we agree on that? Yeah, I think one striker, two wingers. Okay, so I think Salah has to be your right winger. Yeah, same here. I think the choice up front is difficult. It's between Benzema and Lewandowski. And then you could also say Messi and Mbappe are, are choices there. I think I'd yeah. probably, I think right now I'd go between Benzema and Lewandowski. Probably Lewandowski. But Benzema's in amazing form. Um, but if you ask me to say best strike in the world, I'd probably say Robert Lewandowski. So do we agree on that? I think if I was, if I was, 
the sort of caveat that you put, I think, is right. If I was picking a team to play tomorrow, I'd probably go Benzema. But I think Lewandowski is the best striker in the world. Okay. And then the left wing's really interesting. So I've got lots of names written down here, which probably won't make it, but I want to mention. I've got like Nabri. I think Leroy Sane's amazing. I think underrated as well. Chiesa's doing amazing. Foden's obviously amazing. Grealish hasn't been that great this season, but is obviously brilliant. Then you've got Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, uh, Insigne. Who would we go on that left wing? I think, I think you probably have to go Messi, don't you? In terms of best player, yeah, see, now, see, now, see now I'm I'm, caught, I'm sort of questioning my 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 pick at striker. I'm tempted to go Messi at striker and then probably Mbappe at left wing. Yeah, um, I just I don't think I can cre- create a world eleven and not have Messi in there. So I think it basically just I think where do you fit him in? Okay, you write yours down because I'm going to keep Lewandowski, put Messi at left wing. Okay, in fact, you know what? I'm going to go really attacking and I'm going to put. I'm going to go Salah at right wing, Benzema at striker, Mbappe at left wing, and then I'll have Messi as a number 10. Wow. Okay. You're going for the PSG kind of, just hope the individuals do something. I'm going to stick with mine. I'm going to have no attacking midfielder because I thought about this and you've got like, and then people like Pogba, Muller, Mount. There's there's a few options, but... I think I think Bruno's got a shout for being in there a few months ago, but at the moment, not. So I think I'm going to go three centre mids, probably with the defence midfielder. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to say Kante for defence midfield because I'm, aw- and I say that aware that he needs to be fit more. But if you're saying best player in every position, I think the best defence midfielder in the world is probably Kante when fit. So I think I'm going to go for him. The other options are kind of Frankie de Jong, uh, even still Busquets because he's amazing he, and then Casemiro but again with the caveat that he's not quite as good as he was yeah. and getting older but they're all kind of like that except De Jong but I haven't seen enough of De Jong I don't think so I'm going to go for Kante what are your t- and then and then because you've taken an attacking midfielder we can probably talk our centre mids together yeah um, yeah so as a reminder I'll, I'll, I'll probably play sort of a 4-2-3-1 and so I'll play Messi as number yep. 10 behind the front three. Yep. And then... So the two centre so mids... Uh, the, one, the one of mine that, that's nailed on for me is... And I'm not even sure I would say he's the best midfielder in the world, but I just absolutely love watching him play is Joshua Kimmich. Right, yeah. So I've got him written down. Let me go through the ones I've written is De Bruyne, Goretzka, Kimmich, uh, Marcus Llorente, Verratti and Bellingham just for fun to add Bellingham in there. The ones I'm going to go for in front of Kante is De Bruyne and Verratti. Yeah, fair enough. The, the other one I'd, I'd put in actually, either this or the defensive midfielder conversation would also be Fabinho as well. I think Fabinho's great, but you know, yeah, he also has a few fitness problems, doesn't play every week, but when he does play, I think he's he's phenomenal. So I, I think I will go with Kimmich and then... I don't know whether to go Kante or Casemiro. I'm I'm sort of t- torn between the two. I think I'd probably go Kante. Okay. Yeah. So I've I've got the Broider in there. He's not been as good this season, but we're going off kind of best player in, in that position in the world. And I think he's got an argument to say he has been that for the last few years. And Verratti's just brilliant. Um obviously our defence our midfield is a bit different because of who we've got in front slash behind. Let's go uh, 
let's start off with centre-backs. I think Van Dijk's probably nailed on when he's at his best. Yeah, nailed on for me. Who's your other centre-back? Because I'm, I'm struggling on this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling as well a bit, to be honest. I, I said to you before we started the episode, if, if you'd have gone at the end of last season, I would have been tempted to put Varane in there. But I don't, I can't bring myself to put Varane in, not because he's done badly at United, but it's hard. And recency bias is stopping me from putting a player in this Man United team, a defender from this Man United team in this, in this 11. So other than him, my options would probably be Ruben Diaz, Marquinhos, Sergio Ramos, I don't think there are that many really standout centre I'm going to go with Marquinhos. Maybe Chiellini or Bonucci. I'm going to go with Marquinhos just because proper Champions League player who does it on the big stage. I'm, I'm not sure. I could, but because I could sit here and go, oh, Diaz, I think Maguire, after the Euros, people, I, I perhaps would have said would him. Would have been him with a shout, yeah. Yeah, but I think Marquinhos' consistency in the Champions League, I don't watch him every week for PSG, so I can't claim to be 100% sure in that decision but I'm going to put him so I've gone Van Dijk and Marquinhos what about fullbacks? Fullbacks for me as much as it pains me I've gone Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back and Cancelo at left back mm, yeah good shouts probably I just, I just don't think there are that many great fullbacks and I think those two are probably the best all round yeah I think yeah recency bias takes Shaw out of it but for for the year from November to the Euros final, I think he was best consistently. Yeah, best in I think the that's world. fair. It's, it's it's pretty crazy actually when you, when you think like how much different this would have been if we'd have done it just after after the Euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spinazzola was amazing at the Euros, but not as great for Roma, uh, and and has yeah. been injured since. I guess, yeah, Cancelo. The the problem I have with putting Cancelo in is pl- p- people look good at City because of the system and because he's got all that freedom. Is he the best? Le- would I want him as my left back? I'm, I don't know yet because I haven't seen him play as a proper left back. But we'll, we'll I'll, I'll, I'll let him go in. Keeper, we, we're probably going to want a modern one. Uh, so it's uh, not Alisson. His shot stop is not good enough. He makes too many mistakes. Edison, also prone to a mistake. Both brilliant distributors, of course. Oblak's a great shot stopper. You got Testagen and Neuer uh, as well in the conversation. It's a yeah. I think it's a really difficult one. I honestly I don't know on goalkeeper. We talked before. I can't remember when it was. We talked before about how like comfortable and safe we felt with Van der Sar in goal, and. I think if you were asking me what goalkeeper would yeah. produce that feeling the most, to me it would be Neuer. Even though I don't think he's at his best at the moment, I, he would still be my pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've, I, yeah, <laughs> I just, I just don't know enough about goalkeeping, nor do I watch all of these goalkeepers specifically enough to be able to pick. So I'm, I think I'm actually just tempted to back out this one and say, yeah, I pick my best outfielders. I don't know who the best goalkeeper in the world is. I honestly don't know. So um, let's very quickly run for our teams and then we'll wrap up. Um, so mine is no goalkeeper. We're going rogue. <laughs> and then Trent, Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, Marquinhos, Jao Cancelo, N'Golo Kante sitting behind uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Marco Verratti and then a front three of Mo Salah, Robert Lewandowski and Lionel Messi. All right, so I've gone with Neuer in goal, 
Trent at right back, Van Dijk at centre back. And then I never actually picked my other centre back, but because we've got the controlled, very easy Virgil van Dijk, I'll take a bit of a risk with a more cavalier Ramos next to him with Oof. Cancelo at left back. Then in midfield, we've got Joshua Kimmich and N'Golo Kante, with Messi at number 10, and Salah on the right, Benzema at striker, and Mbappe on the left. Nice. Two good teams. I feel weird leaving Mbappe out. I love him. And Benzema is brilliant. There's a lot of players I've left out, isn't there? I can't, I can't go through them all. Um, right, let's wrap up. We've gone significantly over, but there were some great questions. Thank you, patrons. And uh, Ted, not got round to a low new for women's roundup uh, in this one, just because we're running over. We will have one next week. In short, the women are doing okay. I think a fifth or sixth in the WSL conceded two late equalisers away at Everton and Spurs, which are really gutting. Now play City in a Conti Cup on Wednesday and then Arsenal, who are leading the WSL on Sunday. That's going to be very difficult to win. A win against City in the Conti Cup would be good. Alessio Russo's back playing very well. Um, Kirsty Hansen's starting a lot of games more than last season. The team's looking good, pressing a bit better. So there's a very brief women's one. Um, as for a lone one, there's too much to talk about. But Dishon Bernard is a highlight. He won a whole city's play of the month for October. Um, and the under-18s have drawn either Scunthorpe or Geisley in the FA Youth Cup third round. Those two teams play tonight, so we'll know who they play on Wednesday. Um, so that's a very brief one off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, thank you, Patreon, for your support and for your questions. Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, for more from us throughout the week, you kind of know where to find us by now. Um, if not, the podcast is at UTD Weekly Pod on Twitter, P O D at the end there. But have a great week. Hopefully, enjoy the Watford game. Um, yeah, and see you soon. Goodbye. Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.